You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. The other night, I was in my dog class, and I was looking out at the sea of students. It was the first night with dogs, and I just saw boing, 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 boing. I mean, all across the line, all the dogs were just bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. They were all happy, but they were just bubbling over with energy. So today, I've decided to talk to you about hyper dogs. Is your dog hyper, or is he normal? I get so many students who ask me, does my dog have attention deficit disorder? Does this dog have ADD? Or maybe it's just that the owner has to reset expectations. Well, today's show is all about hyper hooligans on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Active for Pets is a new wellness platform and app that helps pet parents save time and money on their vet bills. Stop paying for unnecessary vet treatments. Consult with a vet online. Get unlimited access to your pet's entire health history from any computer or smartphone with the Active for Pets app. Vaccinations, medications, test results, and more. Active for Pets gives you access to a team of expert vets for non-emergency care. Make an appointment before, during, or after office hours. Skip the waiting room and get a secure online vet consult on your schedule. Taking care of your pets is as easy as it gets with Active for Pets. Ready to try Active for Pets? Listeners get 40% off a one-year membership. To get this great offer, use promo code PETLIFE on the sign-up page of active4pets.com. That's A-C-T-I-V, the number 4, P-E-T-S dot com. Or call 888-512-2848. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. So I was holding an orientation the other night, and my orientation for my dog training class is without dogs. Dogs don't come the first night because I prefer to give the information to the owner so they can absorb it much better without having to worry about their hyper-hooligan dog with them. The reason why they're coming to me is because the dog is usually out of control. And a student raised her hand near the end of class and she said she was really worried that she was going to have the worst dog in class. And she's not the first to pose that question in class. A lot of people don't because they are really afraid and they don't want to admit that they're going to have the worst dog in class. But every now and then, I get a brave soul who raises their hand and asks the question. And she was truly upset. She was truly, truly worried. I've had people waiting outside the class the first night with dogs. I'm trying to take attendance. I see somebody's missing. I send my assistant outside. My assistant comes and talks to me. The person is weeping in the parking lot, just weeping with the horror that their dog is going to embarrass them in class. And of course, we work extra hard with these students because nine times out of 10, the dog is actually normal. It's a problem behavior. The dog is really bouncy, but the person just doesn't understand that the dog is actually normal. And adults don't like to be embarrassed. When you're a kid, there's very few things that embarrass you as a small child that embarrasses you when your parents take pictures of it and then show it to your date when you're 16. But when you're a little kid, things don't embarrass you so much. When you become an adult, things are embarrassing. And if the dog is acting up and bouncing around and chewing on the chair and barking and acting hyper in class, it can be really, really embarrassing. 
to the point where you might not want to come back to class. And that's a shame because the dog's never going to get any help if they don't get trained. You have got to go to the class to get trained or have some private help, and but they're too embarrassed to come to class. So it becomes this catch-22 where the dog just continues to practice that behavior, gets worse and worse and worse, and gets more and more hyper. So I felt really badly for this student, and I will tell you that she rocked her first night. We took special care of her. We reassured her. She was so nervous. She has a very bouncy lab, sweet lab, just bouncy. He's a Labrador. But she rocked her first night of class. And when she left that first night with dogs, she felt so much better. A lot of people are afraid uh, in a class situation, in a public situation, taking your dog to a park, taking them to the flea market, taking them out to a relative's home or a friend's home, that their dog's going to cause a riot. And the majority of dogs that I see are actually completely normal dogs. They are normal for their age and their breed, and that's just who they are. I'm not saying that owners don't have a right to be concerned. If you have a hyper dog, it can be a menace. They can knock you down. They can knock your kids down. That's probably a more common complaint that I get, that the adults are able to fend for themselves, but the kids are getting knocked down left and right. Also, what happens sometimes is that they purchase the dog for the children, and the children become afraid of the dog. The dog is too hyper, and it knocks them down, and it jumps on them. And so now the kids that they got the dog for don't want to have anything to do with the dog. That I hear a lot of that as well. And of course, everybody thinks that they're the only ones in that boat. They feel very alone. Maybe their neighbors all have perfect dogs. I think that's a myth too, by the way. But I think that people believe that, that all their dogs, all the neighbors in the, have great dogs and they don't ever have these problems. And so they just live with this hyper dog and don't realize what to do about it. Once we take these normal dogs and we teach them some family manners, they're lovely companions. They just don't know any better until you train them. I've also done a lot of resetting of expectations. I think that people often don't realize what they are bringing into their house. And there are lots of things that can cause a dog to be hyper. I think that, again, you have the right to be concerned and you definitely have to address it, but you need to understand what makes a hyper dog and then what you can do about it. So let's talk about some of those things. One thing is your dog's age. Toy breeds, the little guys, like my little Finian, my little Papillon, they are physical adults at one year. So they become physical adults at a year of age. Medium to large size dogs, Labrador Retrievers, Weimaraners, Golden Retrievers, Australian Shepherds, those are not physical adults till about two and a half. And when I say this in class, this is the point where people start to weep or start to you know, shake their heads and their shoulders droop a little bit or they start elbowing their spouse because they are so depressed at the fact that they have so much time to go before these dogs become adults. It's actually kind of funny in a sad, sad way. And I feel the pain. I have big dogs too. So I feel the pain. Giant breeds, Leon Burgers, St. Bernard's, Great Pyrenees, they're not physical adults till they're three. I recently graduated a six-month Newfoundland. And if you don't know what a Newfoundland is, they're about as big as a St. Bernard. And this particular type of Newfoundland was a Lancier Newfoundland. He was black and white. He was gorgeous. But he was six months old and 74 pounds. 74 pounds at six months. So you have this baby Huey in class, knock, tripping over his feet, knocking stuff over. You're like, why is he so uncoordinated? He was a baby. He was a really young dog. He's going to be huge. He's going to be a horse is what he's going to be. But they're not physical adults till three. So if you have a dog that is technically a puppy, you have a very energetic dog on your hands. Puppies start out a little bouncy when they're really young, seven, eight weeks old, and then they take blissful naps. It's so peaceful when they nap. And then the naps go away. 
and life becomes adventurous because you wonder where the nap went and you wish that they would continue to take them, but they don't need them anymore. They outgrow the need for naps and they just go, 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 go. And you're wondering where this energetic bundle fluff came from. Adolescence kicks in right after that. And then it's chaos from there. It's just absolutely chaos from there. The other thing that can affect the hyperactivity of your dog is a breed or breed mix. Sporting breeds are very popular. I will tell you that Labrador Retrievers are still registered American Kennel Club dog in the country. And they are clinically insane for the first two years of their life. Please know that I say that with tremendous amounts of affection. I had two Labrador Retrievers. I wouldn't have trained them for the world. I love them so much. I, I don't have them now. They're since gone. But they were crazy when they were puppies. And it's such a popular dog. People have lots of them. And I don't think they realize how energetic those dogs really are. Breeds are specifically bred to do certain purposes. And some of my previous shows have talked about this. If you have a herding breed, I have a Belgian Tavurin. He's bred to herd. German Shepherds, bred to herd, bred to chase things. Shetland Sheepdogs, bred to chase things. Corgis, bred to chase things. They're bred to herd. They're bred to run after something. If you have a retriever, like my labs, they were bred to retrieve a dead duck over and over through the woods, in the middle of the lake, swim back, go over the log, bring it to you over and over and over again. Your dog can't turn off his DNA. You may choose not to hunt. You may not have any sheep or ducks in the house for them, your dog to herd, but you can't turn off the dog's DNA. It's still doing what it was genetically programmed to do. And if you don't provide an outlet for that behavior, your dog is going to find a way to amuse himself and it will never be what you would have chosen. You probably wouldn't have chosen for him to eat the heat pump on the outside of your house, but he did because you didn't have sheep. So if they are genetically programmed to be very, very active dogs, and if you look at those types of breeds, the herding breeds, the sporting breeds, especially terriers, they're bred to be very persistent and go after vermin. They're very popular with families. They're very popular with people. The dog that was bred to be a lawn decoration, there aren't that many of those. And they're not as popular because they're not as active. But then people bring them home and they don't realize how crazy these really dogs are. I also think that sometimes people meet the older version of these dogs. My labs mellowed when they got older. They were always bouncy, especially Logan. He was bouncy till the day he left this earth. But he mellowed in comparison to what he was as a small puppy. So I think people meet these six and seven-year-old labs and they think, oh, I have to get me one of these. And they don't realize that they're little tornadoes when you first bring them home. So be sure if you're thinking about adding to the family, do that research. Here's another thing that can impact your dog's hyperactivity levels. What are you feeding him? Food is an integral part of your dog's behavior, just like it is with people. There's a lot of different foods on the market, marketed to dogs. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. That's why there's so many TV commercials, some of which will make you cry. I saw one the other day that would just made me all teary-eyed. It was so sweet. Marketing dog food. There's good quality dog food and there's bad quality dog food. I'm not going to go into the details too much of that because it's very controversial. Maybe that'll be a topic for a future show, but that's not the point of today's show. Here's the general information I want to give you. In general, if you're going to buy a grocery store brand pet food, dog food for your dog, think of that as the equivalent of fast food. Think of that as the equivalent of going through the drive-thru and getting something really greasy and delicious and eating it all the time. If you were to do that, what would that do to your body? What would that do to your brain? If you go to a good pet supply store... Think of that usually more as a sit-down restaurant. Maybe the menu's a little bit healthier. Maybe you've got some healthy options. Maybe you've got some bad options too, but there's some healthy options there. Maybe prepared with a little more care and quality control. You can also get dog food from a distributor. 
And think of this as an exclusive restaurant that it could be as good as the sit-down restaurant or it could be better. It just depends. Sometimes you go to these really exclusive high-end restaurants and the steak is not any better than you could have gotten somewhere else. And you get so disappointed that you paid that much for that steak. So sometimes it's better, sometimes it's not. What you want to watch for are some things in general. What is going into your dog? Is it nothing but sugar? Is it nothing but dye or fillers? If it's just a filler, it's going to go in one end and go out the other. If that's what you're feeding your dog, you could be contributing to his behavior in hyperactivity. He may be basically running on the equivalent of chocolate-covered sugar crunchies all the time. What about the protein level? Some of the brands of dog food out there have ridiculously high protein levels, and that just seems odd for the suburban dog. Most suburban dogs do not need that kind of protein level. Now, if you have an active dog that is doing lots of sports and this, that, and the other thing, or it's a working dog and it's looking for avalanche victims, yes, higher protein makes perfect sense. But the average dog doesn't really need that much protein. What kind of level does it have? When you're doing your research, I want you to use reputable websites and sources. Please don't go to Joe's advice on dog food and small engine repair and start quoting facts about dog food. People crack me up on Facebook all the time. They're always posting stuff. And I'm like, where did, you, where did you find that? What kind of website is that? How can you consider that a credible source? So think about the information you're getting, but do your research because the food could be impacting your dog. If you want to do some experiments, you can switch some foods. It takes about a month or so to notice a difference if the food is contributing. Here's the thing. If your dog's coat is gorgeous, it's not dry, it doesn't feel dry to the touch, if his skin doesn't feel dry to the touch, if he's not having an itching problem, you know how some dogs itch and itch and scratch and you think that there's a flea somewhere but you cannot find a flea on them? Well, it may be because you don't actually have fleas. It may be that they're having a skin condition. Sometimes it doesn't always show red and bumpy either. Sometimes they're just really itchy. It's because their skin is dry. You might notice dandruff on the dog. But if that's not an issue, if they don't have recurrent ear infections... Then, and also if they're at a healthy weight. And how do you tell? Well, you're going to take your hands and put them on either side of your dog's shoulders, one on each shoulder, and you're going to run your hands down your dog's body towards the tail. If your dog is at a healthy weight, you will be able to easily feel your dog's ribs. By the way, I know that this is a radio show, but you should, I have to talk with my hands, so I'm showing you how to do this, which you cannot even see. So imagine putting your hands on either side, one on each shoulder, and running your hands down your dog's sides towards the tail. If you can easily feel your dog's ribs, that's a healthy weight. If they're really ribby, and I will tell you, Sawyer got that way a couple times. He's so fluffy, I didn't notice that he was losing weight sometimes. If they're really ribby, they need more food. If you're having a hard time feeling the ribs, no fair squeezing, they're overweight. All dogs should have a little tuck at the waist. Okay, they shouldn't look like sausages. They should have, you should be able to feel the ribs and have a little tuck at the waist. If you can say all those things are happening with your dog, your food's probably fine. But think about it. You want to give them a good quality food. I learned when I read the book, there's this great book out there about the original Lassie. I grew up with Lassie, watching Lassie. Lassie lived on Dinty Moore beef stew. Now, today, you would probably wouldn't think that that would be a quality diet, but apparently the original Lassie did fine on it, so you never know. Another thing that can cause your dog to be hyper is not enough exercise. And honestly, this is the majority of what I see. We have suburban families that are running to baseball practice and ballet practice, and they've got PTA meetings, this, that, and the other, and the dog doesn't get quality exercise every day. And that is the most common issue I see for hyperactivity. Here's one that I don't think is common. 
too much exercise. I don't think people talk about this too much. I have some very high achieving pet parents that come through my class and they do everything with their dogs. Their dogs go to the beach and they jog with the dogs and they do this and they do sports with their dogs. The dogs never learn to chill out. They never learn to relax. And some breeds are especially prone to this. Pit bulls are a great example. They don't know how to turn themselves off, especially as puppies. They're bred not to turn themselves off. They're bred to keep going. A lot of terriers in general are like that. And so if you don't teach them how to calm down and how to be chill, they don't learn. Some dogs have to be taught that. Some dogs are natural slugs, but a lot of dogs aren't. Most of the time, in addition to not enough exercise, it's a normal puppy. I can't tell you how many people come to my class and they have these adorable little boxer puppies just going boing, boing, boing at the end of the leash. And there is a horrified look in the owner's eyes and they ask me, what's wrong with the dog? And I'm like, looks normal. They just didn't realize that the dog is normally that active. Sometimes though, rare occasions, but it can happen. The reason for the hyperactivity is because of behavior issues. Now I'm going to take a break, but when I come back, I'm going to tell you about a very special way hyper papillon I fostered years ago. And I'm going to also share tips on dealing with these canine tornadoes all on get positive results on pet life radio. I'll be right back. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, this is Tim Link, the host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Got some exciting news for you here today. My audiobook is now available. Wagging Tells, Every Animal Has a Tell is now available in audiobook form through audible.com, amazon.com, and iTunes. It's a collection of 32 conversations I've had with the animals. It's a fun, interesting, heartfelt book that's suitable for all age groups. So everybody pick up a copy of the audiobook, Wagging Tells, Every Animal Has a Tell. You'll be glad you did. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free, and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. Today we are talking about hyper hooligans, these hyperactive dogs. Before the break, I talked about what are the causes of hyperactivity or perceived hyperactivity in dogs. And I want to tell you about one that shared my home for quite some time. I was helping out Papillon Rescue and we had a terrible hoarding situation in another part of South Carolina. If you're not familiar with hoarding, it's a terrible situation. Sometimes the folks have a mental illness, but what happens is they end up with too many animals and they can't care for them. And they think that they're helping them and they think that they're taking in strays and they think that they're doing a service for these animals, but the animals just live in horrid conditions. And this particular papillon was taken from a house, a very small house that had over a hundred dogs in it. And you can imagine, even though papillons are generally small dogs, a hundred of them, that's quite a herd. So it was a mess of a situation. So behaviorally, from when he was a puppy, he was uh, an adult dog by the time he came to me, he did not have a good start in life. His name was Micah. And Micah was the Hercules of Papillons. He was huge. He was huge. I think he was 15 pounds. It was many years ago, but I'm pretty sure he was around 15 pounds. To give you a comparison, my current Papillon, Finian, is only nine. 
And the Papillon I had before him, Pippin, was only seven pounds. So Micah was this whopping huge Papillon. And when I got him, it became evident that he was what is known as hypervigilant. He was like a dog on caffeine all the time. I would take him out to potty and he would alert to everything. He would take forever to eliminate because he was so on edge. If the wind blew by, he would alert and be all stressed and and looking at the source. If the neighbors were talking down the street, that would do it. He just was so stiff and so alert and worried all the time and concerned about everything going on around him. A door creaking. I think that the grass set him off. He was so on edge all the time. It's called hypervigilance. I see it in a lot of dogs with stress, especially shy and fearful dogs. They are hypervigilant because they're trying to protect themselves. He was not a shy or fearful dog, but he was hypervigilant. He was watching his environment and making note of his environment constantly. He could not turn it off. He lived in constant squalor in that house. Can you imagine the mess of that house with 100 dogs that are not being let out and taken care of? It had to have been horrific. And so I couldn't blame him. He had a terrible start in life. He was so tightly wound, I thought he was going to give himself a little heart attack. It was very, very sad to see. You know how your dogs react when the doorbell rings? He was like that all the time. I mean, he would eventually sleep, but it was almost because his body was exhausted. This example of his hyperactivity, he was constantly moving, constantly going, constantly looking, constantly just on the move and so tense, was due to a behavior problem. And it's most likely due to his upbringing and the environment. He was a sweet and loving dog. He was very kissy. He loved people. Couldn't care less about other animals. Pretended they didn't exist. And my personal theory, not scientifically proven, was if you live in a household with 99 others of you, other animals, you just kind of tune them out after a while. So he did not recognize body signals in other dogs and communication signals. And I think it's because he couldn't do anything about it in the first place when he was growing up. Generally, if one dog runs into another, gets in another dog's space, maybe the other dog will snap or give it a little signal that, that it's been, he's being rude. And Micah would just run into my dogs and step on them, and my dogs would tell him. And nicely, they, they weren't mean, but they would tell him that he was in their way, and he would just be, la, 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 la. He just completely ignored them as if they didn't exist. And I figure in a house with 100 dogs, you're bound to step on each other. They have to step on each other's heads and tails and ribs, and they probably got those signals all the time, so they just ceased to have meaning. Again, personal opinion. But he was a sweet and loving dog, and I wanted to help him very much. I realized that when I first brought him home and saw this hypervigilance, it would be a complete an utter waste of time to teach him manners. He had no focus. He couldn't focus on anything for more than a second. So why should I teach him sit and down and put that added pressure on him? It wasn't fair. So I did the exact opposite of what my heart wanted to do. My heart felt so badly for this dog that he had been in this horrible upbringing and that he needed so much help. And so all I wanted to do was shower him with attention. And instead, I ignored him. That's right. I completely ignored him. I mean, I fed him and I made sure he was well-groomed. I took care of him. I didn't neglect him. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I ignored him. And I only started giving him attention when he exhibited an ounce of being calm. I didn't talk to him. I didn't give him extra treats or anything unless he was calm. And at first, it was so brief. At first, I would finally, I'd be watching him like a hawk and he would finally like relax and maybe sit on the couch. And I would say, good boy. And he'd be up and down. He'd be up again. Oh, my gosh. What's going on? What's going on? She's talking to me. What, what, what? He was an exhausting dog to have in the house because if you see that dog like that all the time, so caffeinated, you just get on edge too. And so I would ignore him again. And then he would finally relax. Maybe a day later, 
good boy, very soft and soothing. I didn't want to hyper him up anymore. And he would react hypervigilant again. Well, the laws of learning state that behavior is rewarded is repeated. That's not a TOD rule. That's B.F. Skinner. That's the laws of learning. So gradually, a week went by of me doing this, completely not giving him any added attention other than taking care of his basic needs, but praising him and being sweet to him every time he was calm, even if it was only for a millisecond. And after about a week went by, he could stay relaxed for a few minutes, which was really impressive for this poor dog. And then it became longer and then longer. And I think it took me, honestly, about a month before he acted like a normal dog. It took me about a month. But the behavior that is rewarded is repeated. And that's what it took to get this dog to calm down and not be so upset all the time and worried all the time and constantly scanning the horizon for what was going on. From there, I could work up to teaching him manners to make him a really good family pet. Then I could teach him to sit in the down and the focus, and he learned to love training, and he really responded well to it. But if I had tried to do those things before, it would have been a waste of his time, a waste of my time, and added to his stress. He didn't need any more pressure on this dog. The dog put a lot of pressure on himself to begin with. I had Micah for about two years before I found the right home for him. He was a difficult dog to place because of that early issue, but also because he didn't really care about other dogs. He wasn't vicious towards them. He wasn't aggressive. But at the time, the people who wanted another dog in their life all wanted a companion for their existing dog. And I had to tell every single one of them, this is not the dog for you. He doesn't care about your other dog. He wants people. He was very, very attached to people. And he eventually went to a great home. And I believe he even competed in agility. But he went to a great home and he was a great dog. But that's a rare example of how hyperactivity can be a behavior issue. Most of my clients do not come to me with dogs like this. He was an extreme case. Most of the dogs that I see in my private lessons and in class are perfectly normal dogs. So if you've been listening to this and you think your dog probably is normal or you thought about the reasons for this hyperactivity and you think your dog is in one of those cases, what the heck do you do about it? Well, here are a couple ideas. Most common one I see, not enough exercise. You got to give them exercise. You're going to be careful of their ages. If they're technically puppies, their growth plates are not closed yet, so they shouldn't be doing a lot of jumping. You're also going to be careful of the heat. This week, it's been in the hundreds every day of this week, so you need to be really careful that they don't get heat exhaustion. You can play fetch. Try a flirt pole. If you've ever not used a flirt pole, they're really good for getting dogs tired in a short period of time. They're also really good for small areas if you don't have a huge yard. It basically looks like a cat toy. You've seen those cat fishing poles. It's a long stick with a cord attached to it and maybe a fluffy toy at the end. It's called a flirt pole. And uh, you can flick that around and the dog chases it. They get tired very quickly. If your dog has a buddy, another canine buddy that has similar play styles and similar ages, that can be a great way to tire out a dog, a really good way. Don't forget, exercise is also mental exercise. It's like being in class. Have you ever attended a class as an adult? You sit in a classroom all day, you're not used to it anymore, and you get out of the class and you're exhausted. You've just been sitting there all day. Why are you so tired? Well, you were thinking. You were processing information, and this can make dogs tired too. Train your dog. Your dog's hyper. Train it to channel that energy. Instead of jumping on you, teach it sit. Teach it some family manners. You knew I was going to tell you to train your dog. You knew that was coming out of me. Puzzle toys are great. Stuff the toys with treats. Have Make them dig for it. Make them use their brains. Take them places. Take your dog with you. If you're going on vacation, take your dog with you. Take them on adventures with you. You can visit PetLifeRadio.com and check out my episode number four. That's Get Positive Results, episode four. It's called Safe Travels, and it's full of tips on taking your dog with you when you travel. Make sure you're using positive methods when you train them. Of course, you knew I was going to say that too. 
and teach them how to relax. Teach your dog how to chill out. The beauty of chilling out. You're going to get them tired first. You're going to play with them for a while. Get them nice and tired. And then just sit on the floor with them maybe. Or if you allow your animal and that dog on the couch, they can go on the couch with you. And just start a little massage. Just start a little massage. Start with the ears, some soothing rubbing. Go down the sides of their head, on their shoulders. Be really small with your movements and soothing with your movements and gentle with your movements. Your goal is not to do deep tissue here. We're just going to teach them to relax. This is also really good for teaching your dog to enjoy handling. So if you have to check for lumps and bumps or attend to an injury later, this exercise will be useful to you. Start really briefly. Some dogs will only tolerate this for a minute or two, and then they'll get fidgety. That's fine. That's fine. Work up to longer periods of time. If you want to learn how to do it formally, ask a rehabilitation veterinarian to show you. Some of the specialty clinics all over the country have rehab clinics involved with them now, and they can teach you how to do it properly so that it's soothing to the dog. The dog's going to tell you if he starts getting fidgety or moves away from your hand, you're not doing it right, or at least not for that dog. Maybe he doesn't like his ears messed with. You can work on that as a training issue, but make it pleasant for the dog. That's the goal. The goal is not to force them down and hold them there while you massage them. The goal is to teach them how to relax because if you don't teach them, they may not learn. It's also really good for you too. You may find that your blood pressure lowers as you massage your dog. Another tip is you can redirect your dog to appropriate toy play. Just because you buy them $100 worth of toys doesn't mean that they know how to play with them. I know that you would think that's instinctive, but it's not. So teach your dog to play with toys. Praise them when they're playing with the toys. Rotate those toys so that they seem new. And make sure that they know that when they play with those toys, it makes you very, very happy. Always praise that behavior. And teach them to use those toys and channel that energy into the toys rather than being hyper. Most of all, have realistic expectations. I know it's hard. Understand that if you have the kind of dog that needs daily exercise and he doesn't get it, you're going to have repercussions. And I have people in class who are so smart and so wonderful. They'll come in and they'll say, Teodi, it's rained all week. He's a nightmare. And I'm like, oh, I hear you. Because there are days when I don't always get to exercise Sawyer. He's a very active four-year-old Belgian, and there are days when I don't have the opportunity to do that. And I pay for those days dearly because he's bouncy. But I know that, and I expect that, and I try really hard not to get mad at him because it's my fault that I didn't give him the exercise he needs. So please have realistic expectations as hard as it is. If you do suspect that your dog may not be normal and you want to raise your hand and ask the question, is my dog normal, ask your veterinarian. Ask a qualified reward-based trainer. Don't be afraid to ask rather than just getting mad at your dog because maybe there is something lurking under the surface there that you need to address behaviorally. So hopefully I've given you some tips on recognizing these hyper hooligans and what to do with them. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to reach me, you can at Teoti, that's T-E-O-T-I, at PetLifeRadio.com. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Anderson. You can go to PetLifeRadio.com and find all my shows there as well. Thank you to my producers for making this show happen. Thank you to you, and I'll talk to you next time. Take care. This has been Teodi Anderson on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.